Um, okay, so this morning, Kidtown Bible scholars, you are going to be using your holy imaginations. Moms and dads, adults, you can do it too. Um, we are going to be learning about an old woman, but we're going to think about and imagine what her life was like, okay? So get ready. I need my glasses. Um, this woman, she's old. She's probably 84. Some say she's even 105. Who knows? But she is old. She's on the thin side, wearing a long dress with a scarf covering her hair. The woman walks slowly, and she's making her way to the temple. She's walking slowly up some big, dusty steps with her sandaled feet kind of covered in dust. Um, the temple is her home away from home. It is where she goes every single day and every single night. She lives there. Her life is there. This particular day, the sun is probably shining, and she lifts her face to the sun and is thankful for it. Um, once she makes her way to her special spot where she sits in the temple, she sits down quietly, and she prays for a while. She prays prayers of thanks and, th and um, <clears throat> sorry. She prays prayers of thanks because she knows that her God is faithful. She thanks him for his love. Her praying begins to change to song. She sings her heart out to the Lord, unafraid of being heard by anyone else. As she quickly, as quickly as she began, she grows quiet, thinking about God and pondering all the things that are true of him. As she opens her eyes and lifts her head, she recognizes people she knows. She hurries to them, ready to share all that is true about God. This old woman in the temple has a name. Her name is Anna, which means grace or favor. Anna was always in the temple. She loved God so much that there was no place that she would rather be. You see, the temple is where her life was. Her life was all about worshiping God and serving people by sharing who he was. Now, because Anna knew God so well, and because she was also pretty old, she knew Israel's history, and she knew the promises that God had made. We can read in Isaiah 9 about one of the most important promises God ever made. God promises in Isaiah that he would send a baby who would grow to be a king, a king that would usher out the darkness and bring the light, who would come and save the whole world. This promise is one that Anna probably prayed about over and over and over. She probably prayed that she would be alive to see this king. Using your holy imagination, I want you to picture Anna at the temple again. Maybe Anna is sitting quietly in her special spot, praying. Out of the corner of her eye, she sees a young husband and wife. They're walking together, carrying a bundle in their arms. They're carrying their newborn baby. 
Anna pulls her legs up under her, standing, and she's filled with hope and curiosity. There's something telling her that she has got to see this baby. She goes to the young couple, looks down, and there are the dark eyes and dark hair of a baby. She goes to the young couple, oh, sorry, and the baby looks up at her, and they lock eyes. That baby that she's looking at is the baby Jesus, the one who would become her savior. Anna, on this particular day, had been worshiping, as she always did, but God gave her a gift when he allowed her to look upon the face of the long-awaited promise. On this day, she met the baby who would be the king and savior of the world. Although we used our holy imaginations today to fill in holes um, about the story, we can read it in Luke 2. Um, right now, we're getting ready to sing the song, Come, All Ye Faithful. And as we sing that, I want you to think about Jesus. The song is about worshiping him. Um, I want you to think about the promises that God has made, the promises that he's fulfilled, and worship. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and trying. Oh, come let us adore him. 
thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that we are made adoring you and hungering for your presence um, and, and in need of your love. Lord, uh, meet us with your love this morning. We do adore you. Um, thank you for meeting us in worship, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right, this is from Luke. As Jen said in Luke, Luke chapter 2, just three verses, verses 36 through 38. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Come up, or sorry, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to, who, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, teach us now. Uh, as we look at this brief but very uh, full, uh, rich picture into what does it mean to worship uh, while we wait and the essential uh, nature of worshiping while we wait and the invitation to do so. So we love you uh, in your name. Amen. All right, so we, uh, this Advent, uh, like Jen said a second ago, and, and bringing us to sing that song, uh, we're looking at these famous songs that we tend to only sing at Christmas time, right? Which uh, I am lobbying personally to have changed. I mean, how many of you are uh, no Christmas music before Thanksgiving people? Okay. Now, but isn't most of that like the, like the holly jolly Christmas sort of music? Like, if you really think about it, it's not like these songs. It's actually kind of the cheesy commercial Christmas songs. So I'm, all, I'm cool with that. Like, let's stay away from that. But these songs are rich, and they have a ton of truth in them because these songs are really expressions of the word. They're, they're, they're anchored in the word, and so singing these songs really is singing the truth of the gospel into our hearts. And hopefully, like a song does get stuck in your head, these, these truths get stuck in our heads and they begin to be the tunes that we live by, right? So this song, O, o Come All Ye Faithful, that we just sang, it is a call to worship. It's an invitation to come and to adore Jesus. And we see that lived out in this little brief, you know, two, three sentences really about Anna, the prophetess, who was looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Her life was, was spent looking forward to something that was to come, and she did that by looking back, right? We talked a little bit about this last week, that we back into the future by looking back at what? She knew the word, she knew the covenants, she knew that there was a promise that there was one who would come to redeem Israel, right? And she knew those things and, and probably like, like you know those things too, like you know that the scriptures teach that Jesus is going to return one day and you know that there's a promise of, of an eternal life to come uh, where there's no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death and no more loss and no more pandemics and no more none of this, right? You know that. 
And I know a lot of things, but a lot of days my life isn't lived with those things right there in the forefront of my mind. My life is lived with whatever's going on right in front of me, right? So she knew those promises, but she didn't just know those promises. She grew in those through worship. I literally want you to think about that. It's not just about knowing what's true, but you actually have to grow into, exercise, practice what is true. And she did that through worship. She kept those promises of God from simply being like a nightlight in your room. I don't know, you guys have a nightlight in your room? You know, it's just kind of like dim thing that barely gives you enough light so that you don't stub your toe on the way to the bathroom. Uh, Instead of those promises being like a little nightlight for her, through worship, she literally built a giant bonfire. Like a bonfire that she warmed herself by in the cold, difficult waiting that marked her life and marked Israel's life. It wasn't a nightlight for her, but worship actually built it into a bonfire. So this is really practical for us, I would say. Maybe there might not be a season of life that what I just said isn't more practical as we wait in a difficult time are the promises of God just kind of like a little nightlife for me? Or how and in what ways is God inviting me through worship of him to actually build this bonfire that warms me while I wait, right? So two things, uh, two things, yeah. <laughs> Notice I looked at the clock and I decided, was it going to be one thing or two things? Two things. <laughs> uh, first thing is this, all of life becoming worship. You hear us say that a lot. At Midtown, all of life is worship. All of life becoming worship, and then secondly, uh, right down inside out and outside in, okay? Inside out and outside in. So first one, all of life becoming worship. It says there in the text um, that she, she never left the temple, but she worshiped day and night. Now, when I read that, you know, for the first time this week when I was preparing for this, I thought, wow, that sounds like really daunting, right? Like, I already feel bad. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's not me, right? How, how can it be that she worshiped day and night? Did she really never leave the temple, which just for the historical record, she probably didn't actually live at the temple. Um, it's like in... I don't know if you grew up in church. There's certainly in uh, Baptist churches, I've heard it said, like, we were there when, whenever the doors were open, we were there, right? You know, it's like that kind of thing for Anna. Whenever the doors were open, she was there, right? And it says that she was a prophet, and without going into all of the layers of what that meant, just think of that in terms of she was somebody who had a unique relationship with the Lord where she listened to the Lord. And the Lord revealed things to her, um, and she was a part of communicating God's truth to people. That's what it means to be a prophet, to hear from the Lord, to listen to the Lord, and to communicate that truth to other people. And it says also here that she's a widow, right? That she was married for seven years and then had spent at least likely 60 to 65 years, it depends on the age, like Jen said, as a widow, uh, that's, that's who she was, and, it, and as someone who worshiped day and night, her life was marked by worship 
and by waiting and by longing and by looking forward. And I want us to think about this for a second because it would it'd be easy to hear she worshiped day and night and think, like, man, this is just a disciplined, devout woman, right? And I don't want to take that away from her, um, that I think it's true, but I think her her devotion actually came out of her desperation. And that's a really important thing. Because if it's just she's really devoted, then it's just me telling you guys, pull up your bootstraps and get better at worshiping God, get better at building your bonfire. But I think her devotion actually stemmed from her desperation. That she was not um, unfamiliar with the depth of her need and what her longing was about. And so her devotions reflected that. Does that make sense? It's different. It's different than just bootstrap, harder work theology. It's I'm, I'm actually aware of what's going on in my heart and what my heart longs for. And so out of my desperation, I develop devotions, right? And that's true about us, right? Like it's, it's easy to imagine, like I love how Jen said, use your holy imagination, right? It's easy to imagine whether we're talking about in that context or today's context that a widow in that culture, someone who had been widowed for 65 years, Right? would have had a profoundly difficult existence, right? She was likely poor just based on being a widow in that day, right? Marked by sorrow probably in a lot of ways, loneliness, longing. Maybe you can just put the word, there's a lot of pain there, right? And pain, it drives us somewhere, doesn't it? Waiting drives us somewhere. Like, that's why Snickers gets it in their commercials, right? Hungry, why wait, right? They know you're hungry. Why, do you, why should you have to wait? Go somewhere. Have a Snickers, right? Unless I don't want a Snickers. What if my soul wants more than a Snickers? Pain drives us somewhere. We live in a culture that says there's a gratification for that desire, and it's just this. It's right here. It's a Snickers, right? Her pain, and maybe I would argue because there was nowhere else to take her pain. (laughs) And she knew it. Her pain drove her to the Lord. And her devotion to the Lord stemmed out of her desperation and her need, right? She knew that the only thing that was going to deal with that was the Lord. So it it invites us to ask a question. I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this this week. I'm not going to answer all the questions, and I can't answer all the questions, but where does your pain and your difficulty drive you? Like, would you think about that this week? And again, not to hold Anna up, (laughs) so we're not here to worship Anna, right? Because Anna would have told you that I'm not the focus of the story. Like, if she were here, that's what she would say. Don't look at me and hold me up as the focus of the story. Jesus is the focus of my story, is what she'd say. That's the point. And it's because Jesus is the focus of the story that I'm even able to worship, or it's why I worship in the midst of difficulty. Right? So her devotion stemmed from her desperation. 
And I think we even see that if you want to hold Anna up, and I think she's worthy. She's worth saying, wow, I, I want to follow suit, but she's following what we see with Jesus. That's what Jesus did in his desperation, right? He went to the Father. He didn't go anywhere else. He brought his heart to the Father. So she worshiped day and night, and I would just encourage you because we all are experiencing right now in this context, and we will for the rest of our lives in different contexts, pain, right? Pain drives us somewhere. I want to encourage you that you don't have to try to worship day and night. You and I are worshipers, and we worship day and night. Okay? Like, I can't not be worshiping. Because worshiping is, is like breathing. I am devoted to something, right? I am desperate for something, right? And we're worshipers because that's in the DNA of how God created us to be. Just like when we talk about, if, if and when we talk about evangelism, everybody gets scared about being evangelists. We're all natural evangelists. Just go look at your Facebook page, Right? You talk about what matters to you. You talk about what you love. It's, it's how we're created. It's how we're wired. We naturally talk about what we love and what we believe makes life, life. And so in our desperation, right, that, that actually creates devotion, really it invites us in this season in particular to question what or who am I worshiping, right? What or who am I worshiping? Because for me, I, I'll just tell you for me, and I believe this is true for us, we worship, we give our hearts and our minds and our days and our nights to whatever we believe actually redeems our life. It's what makes life, life. And Anna was simply convinced, likely because of a lot of disappointment and a lot of despair and a lot of difficulty, Anna was convinced that the redemption that she personally and that Jerusalem needed, it only comes from one place. The redemption that she needed could only come from one place, and that was the fulfillment of the promise. And so her life became an expression of that. Her life became an expression of that anticipation, an expression of that hope. Her worship reflected that, right? And so all of her life became worship, all right? Second thing, inside out or outside in. Not the movie, so kids, I'm sorry. Get disappointed. But um, let's just talk about inside to the outside because like Proverbs says, you guard your heart because everything you do flows from it, right? Whatever's going on in here is going to flow out, right? So inside, do I have a private worship life? Or have I lost worship because church is canceled? It's a good question for us in this season, right? Do I have a private, am I curating a private life of worship of the Lord? Or have I, have I really lost worship because of the things that have been restricted in this season? One of the phrases that really I got, I got wrapped around in studying this week was, was that phrase, she never left the temple. And in those days, the temple was the physical place where the Jewish people would come 
in order to worship and in order to make sacrifices. And it was the place where the presence of God was uniquely made known to the people, right? It was a physical space. They come worship. They come make sacrifices. And God's presence was there uniquely, right? But something has happened post the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? You know? That's why we say you don't go to church, but you are the church. They went to church, right? We, we are the church. And so Scripture says this, like in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you receive from God? You are not your own, Right? She never left the temple. Just go with me here for a second, okay? You're, you're in the weird, wild mind of Dave Burden for a second. She never left the temple. She never left it. Um, she never, or she did leave it physically, but she never left it. Like, you've heard the phrase, uh, you can take the girl out of, you know, Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the girl or something like that. You can take the girl out of the temple, but you can't take the temple out of the girl. Right? She may have physically left, but she never left. And I would tell you, we never leave because we can't. Right? Because he never leaves. He has put his spirit inside of you, right? That's why David says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, yada, yada. And there's nowhere I can go. I can't escape you. Right? Because he has made us his home. You can't leave the temple. That should, that should be like a yahoo, right? Because that means he is with you all the time. And the question is, is are you with you all the time? Because that's the only way you leave the temple. You leave the temple by actually doing things like I'll bring something into the temple that distracts me or actually surplants, gets in, get in the in like pole position of my heart ahead of God, even though God's still there, right? I can leave the temple by getting distracted and my focus of my heart or the focus of my mind becomes something else, right? It's like daydreaming in class. Some of you might be doing it right now. I'm kidding. <laughs> You know, you're daydreaming in class, your mind's somewhere else, but you're still there, right? Or like throwing a house party, right? This is what a lot of times, you guys are going to have to unpack this metaphor. You ever throw a house party in your parents' house and it gets trashed, right? It's like inviting all these things into your father's house and it wrecks the house, but it doesn't not make it the father's house, (laughs) right? It's still the father's house. It's the temple, And so there are lots of ways I can leave the temple by bringing things in that distract, that surplant God, that distract myself from the truth, that distract myself from his presence and that he is with me, that distract myself through worshiping something else and giving my heart's trust and hope to. But the truth is, is that just like Anna never left the temple, you can't either. That that should give you a lot of encouragement that even when you're distracted and even when your mind's a million other places, 
The Lord is right there. And he's inviting you, be with me here. Right? Well, how she did that, how she stayed with herself, right? How she never left the temple. It says there, and I'm not going to say a lot about this, but she practiced some spiritual disciplines. She worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. And again, you're going to be tempted to believe, okay, this is the, like, go out there and do it, right? Go do it. But in some ways, I would just tell you, out of her desperation, right, she developed devotions. She devoted herself to certain practices. And fasting and praying, without talking anything about what those are, those are literally just spiritual disciplines that awaken our hearts to the truth. They help us be present with the Lord where we are at, right? And all I want to say about that is, is that oftentimes we have to feel things in order to do things. That's how our culture works, right? I feel, therefore I do. What Anna understood is, is if I do, therefore I feel. I'm going to do these things, right? I'm going to practice these things. I mean, if you've ever practiced fasting, it's not fun, right? If, hungry, I'll wait. Don't grab a Snickers, right? That's what fasting is. Because my heart really doesn't desire that. My heart desires something more, and fasting awakens my heart to that. So these spiritual disciplines were how she worked on the inside to build that bonfire of worship, right? Not because she felt necessarily like doing those things, but she did those things so she could feel the truth. It's a big difference. So inside out, and how are we, how are you, I'd, I'd ask you, how, how are you cultivating a private worship life? What does the discipline of your private worship life look like? If you don't know, come find me. I'll, I'll help. I'll do what I can. It looks different for different people because you're wired differently than I am. But it's essential if, I, if I'm going to wait well, if I'm going to cultivate that inside, and then let's talk about the outside. Because what does she do? Coming up to them, you know, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward. You hear it? <laughs> she spoke to all who were looking forward. And I would just tell you, there are countless people in your life who are looking forward and they don't know what they're looking for. They're at your jobs, they're your friends. They're in your world. They, their hearts are looking for this Jesus, and they don't know that's what they're looking for. And we, like Anna, are the people who are literally set free now to actually bring that worship, that thankfulness, and speak and say to those in the temple courts, right? Because the temple courts have been filled not just with Jewish, devout Jewish people, but even Gentile people. This Jesus, he's the one that your heart hungers for. He's the one that you're actually waiting for. He's the consolation that you actually need. He's the comfort. He's the redemption. And the beauty is, is when we cultivate, when the Lord cultivates that inward worship life, we bring it out. You can't not, right? We don't keep it to ourselves because whatever's going on inside, it comes out. So that's my prayer for us through this word, this encouragement is one that God would really show us 
what are the things, what, what's the house party I'm throwing that's wrecking the house? The things that I'm inviting in that's, tr- that's making a mess of the temple, but what I realize, I can't leave. I can't leave the temple because I am the temple, right? And therefore, all of life is worship. I can worship wherever I'm going, right? And that I would truly, that you and I would truly grow to be a day and night worshiper, right? That we'd realize we are, but that our, our days and our nights would be marked by the worship of the living God. And then that we would be those people who out of the joy and the gratitude of that would literally share that with the world around us. Because the world around us is desperate for it. They're desperate. They're looking forward for something. And you know what it is, who it is, who he is. And he, he has made you his home. Hallelujah. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Uh, As we sing a couple songs to close our time, Lord, would um, would you reinforce that truth that we are your temple? That even when we leave and Satan would shame us uh, for the house parties we throw, <laughs> that you're, you're a good father who helps us clean the house. You never leave. You never forsake. You're right there with us in all the pain and all the distraction and all the, the things that Anna was facing and that we're facing. You're right there. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we would see you not just as that little baby, but that little baby who grew to die and who laid down his life for us, uh, that we, we might um, look forward to a future that is certain. Pray that we could bring that future into our present.